This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guest is Miranda McPherson. Miranda is a spiritual teacher who shares an integrated feminine approach to spiritual awakening. Founder of One Spirit Interfaith Foundation in London, where she trained and ordained over 600 ministers. Today, she leads the Living Grace Community in Northern California and leads retreats internationally. With Sounds True, Miranda has created the audio series Meditations on Boundless Love, and she's written a new book called The Way of Grace, The Transforming Power of Ego Relaxation, where she takes the reader on a journey to the heart of spiritual surrender. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Miranda and I spoke about how she begins all of her teaching sessions with her students by creating an atmosphere of unconditional love, and how this atmosphere accepts whatever difficulty or challenge we are experiencing so that it can be lovingly met and experienced as a gateway to deeper surrender. We also talked about how she learned ego relaxation through a profoundly transformative experience. She calls it a seismic experience that she had while she was meditating in Ramana Maharshi's cave in India. After this experience, her whole life became reorganized and she was asked to adapt to a new level of vulnerability that she describes as living without an outer skin. We also talked about the central role of trust in the awakening process, what it means to be a receiver and channel of grace. And finally, Miranda led us in a guided experience of what it means to feel ourselves as a mountain of presence. Here's my conversation with Miranda McPherson. Miranda, I want to begin by talking about the subtitle of your new book, The Way of Grace, which is The Transforming Power of Ego Relaxation. And I notice when I hear that term, ego relaxation, I relax a little bit. I love it. Tell me how you came to that phrase. Well, I don't know about you, Tammy, but for myself, I was always, you know, as soon as I really got cracking on the spiritual path and really went to work on my own ego, you know, it was a very humbling experience because I could see, oh my goodness, here's fear, here's insecurity, here's control, here's defensiveness, here's reactivity, here's envy, here's pride. And it was really hard to honestly meet those parts of myself that at that time I was relating to as things that shouldn't be there as things I had to somehow try to amputate or get rid of or push past. And over the years, I started to see that that was a particular view that has sort of trickled down through spiritual traditions that have largely come through the masculine lens up until very recently that can sometimes lend themselves to a bit of an aggressive or macho approach at hacking away at our ego, um, as if it shouldn't be there, as if we should try and get pushed past it. And that I started to see in light of my own awakening process that that wasn't the most effective way of dealing with it. That just like trying to get rid of anything usually is what causes it to persist. I saw that it wasn't so much a matter of ego annihilation that was needed, but of letting those parts of myself relax. 
And it felt like letting a hard block of ice, which is our ego fixations, be touched by the warmth of the sun. And so when you think about it, just putting a hard block of ice out in the warmth of the sun, you know, you don't need the hacks or the, the chainsaw to break that ice down. You know, the, the warmth of the sun actually transforms the hardness, melts it. And that's how true surrender felt to me as a process of melting, of contacting with loving awareness, these parts of ourselves that are certainly problematic if they're not addressed, but that are more effectively dealt with through love and presence rather than pushing and forcing and aggressing upon ourselves in the name of awakening. Mm -hmm. Now, just to be clear here in the beginning, what do you mean by the term ego when you talk about its Mm -hmm. art? ego that can be invited to relax. Yeah. I'm really talking about our sense of being a separate someone bound in history, bound in defenses, bound in commentary and fear and judgment and control. And of course, you know, when you really look at that, um, classically, most spiritual traditions sort of bring that back to a a sense of, you know, being a separate somebody. And paradoxically, you know, we are a a unique individual human being, and I don't think that's necessarily ego. So when I say ego, I'm really talking about our self-construct that's historically based and bound in emotive spasms and fear and hurt that is not really seeing reality for what it is and is therefore not fluid and free and not open to the grace and the fullness of who we really are. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about this as perhaps a more quote-unquote feminine approach than Mm -hmm. a sort of soldiering type of muscular, you know, we're going to do something to get rid of our attachment to, to being separate... Tell me more about when you're working with your students and you're helping them with this feminine approach, what that actually looks and feels like. Well, the first thing is, is that our work always begins in a palpable atmosphere, an explicit atmosphere of unconditional love and acceptance. So, you know, when people sit with me, I don't view them as wrong or bad or that they shouldn't have the difficulties that they have. We can't help the way our ego is shaped and formed into its defenses. I mean, you or I can't, you know, it it was laid down through our early childhood and the ways that we had to adapt to survive that. So I think, you know, it first begins with just this deep, compassionate understanding that all human beings have an ego. And that really it's a call for love and understanding. And so if we have that as our platform, then it's kind of so much easier just to take a look at what's going on and why that's going on, like why that defense is there, why we circle back into that particular fear, why it's hard to let go of that position or attachment, you know, what our control's really about. And usually what we see when we open it up in the atmosphere of unconditional love, that there's some suffering there, some felt experience of separation from our natural ground of being and the qualities of our being that requires contact and requires love and requires us just being there and not doing a single thing. And so that's what ego relaxation actually comes down to really is being deeply present with love and ceasing and desisting any kind of manipulation or judgment. So we're just present and deeply undefended with what's so. And what happens when we're just undefended and present with what's so, not conceptually, but thematically in our heart, you know, then what happens is grace some kind of grace comes online and it will be completely fresh in each moment with each person. But what blows me away every time is that what that person actually needs most comes alive for them. Whether that's some feeling of wholeness or 
some essential quality like boundless love or clarity or pure awareness or some understanding or insight comes forward or some wisdom arrives that gives that person exactly what they need to go further and deeper and flourish on the path and in their human life. Now, Miranda, the moment that you said we begin in you were describing your teaching environment Mm -hmm. with this atmosphere of unconditional love. Mm -hmm. I noticed that everything in me in this conversation for the first time, I suddenly started melting like the way you described Mm -hmm. when the sun comes out and the block of ice that we are can melt. And I thought, wow, that's so beautiful. What a beautiful way to start. Why don't we all just go there more quickly? It's right there. <laughs> well, sometimes we don't see the obvious. And I, I personally just feel very blessed that, you know, my own spiritual path began when I was a young person. I was 13 and I was clinically depressed. And I was hospitalized in an adult psych unit for that depression. And one of the things that that did for me that was really foundational was it helped me see that, that what we all need more than anything in order to find our own answers, to connect with what we need, to move forward, we need love. And that needs to be primary. We need to be seen and contacted with love for who we are. When that happens, Whatever other work has to happen, happens so much more easily because it deals with the resistance and it allows space for a soul to come forward in in, in the way that it needs to, you know. So I just feel very grateful that I saw that very young. So it's been very predominant in all the work that I've been doing with people for coming up on three decades now in different Now, Miranda, how did you discover that as a young person in a psych ward? (laughs) Well, it's a long story, but essentially, you know, I was suffering deeply myself, which is why I was there. But I remember looking around and seeing, and don't ask me how I could see this, but I just did, that, you know, we were all really suffering from the same thing, you know. Everyone was experiencing a deep disconnection from what they truly needed in life. And that took many different shapes and forms, but the most fundamental disconnection that everyone seemed to have in common was a disconnection from what was real and what love was. And I don't necessarily think those are two things. They're really part of the same, but, and I was suffering from that too, you know. So, In my darkest moment, you know, I was really found by a grace that I really can't lay any personal claim to. It came to me as a state of boundless love. And I shared about this in the audiobook, Meditations on Boundless Love. But what it plugged me into was a felt sense of the infinity of love that is the ground of being, ground of your being and my being and all being, that is fundamentally beneficent. And that when we open to that, which is an experience of grace, then we have what we need to move forward in our life. And so I just saw that has to be the platform. The work of transformation has to happen in an atmosphere that is unconditionally accepting and unconditionally loving. And then, you know, all the murky stuff can come out of the closet and it's just fine. We can see it. We can understand it. We, even things like hate and envy, stuff that most people I know have a lot of shame about having and don't want to have. But, you know, if you just look at our world right now, it's pretty obvious. Those things are big problems on our planet. Mm-hmm. So they have to be addressed. We have to be able to, you know, look at this murky stuff, the, the really knotted up parts of ourselves you know, kindly, compassionately with discrimination and really see what they're about. Mm -hmm. And it's by bringing all that to the light that the mystery of grace, the living presence, can transform us and bring us deeper into wisdom and clarity about how to be a real human being in our world that surely needs us to be a bit more loving and a bit more real. 
Mm-hmm. Now, in your book, The Way of Grace, you have a beautiful section called The Problem is the Gate. And mm-hmm. as you're talking and you're describing some experience somebody might have, like feeling tremendously envious of someone, or mm-hmm. you use that as an example, how could we mm-hmm. take that and see it and experience it as a gateway. Can you take us through that? Yeah, sure. Well, it requires first the platform that I've been talking about. And so, so much of the work is helping people just to be present in their body, to relax the commentating mind, to let go of comparative judgment, to be be kind to whatever they find in themselves. All of that, to trust enough, to have enough humility, all these things that all classical spiritual paths acknowledge is important but once those things are there then we can take a deeper dive and I encourage my students to really explore something in their life that is really difficult that reoccurs as some pattern of suffering that despite their best efforts is still here now for most people that I know that ultimately comes down to a felt sense of feeling somehow bad or not good enough as if something's fundamentally flawed or missing. Now, this is usually what causes things like envy and hatred, but when we go to the actual direct experience of feeling disconnected, that there's something in us that is lacking, insufficient or wrong or bad or not right, that's one of the hardest gates to open because everything in us says, this is a terrible problem, I have to fix it, I have to get over it. And for myself personally, I spent years spiritually and psychologically trying to get past this big problem as it felt in me, which felt as if, you know, my version of that was I'm nothing, you know, that I experienced as some kind of deficient, not good enough sort of way. And I realized now from where I said, I was looking at that as something that shouldn't be there. It's trying to annihilate it through spiritual means. But what was really amazing to discover was one day when I was visiting the ashram of Sri Ramana Maharshi in South India, I I was sitting in a cave that had been where he'd lived for 15 years. And I was just meditating. I wasn't looking for anything special. I wasn't trying to get anywhere special in my meditation practice that day. I was just sitting and quieting down. And you know, a whole other world of silence than what I had known opened up. And it really was this profound moment of, I can't even really put accurate words to it, but it's where the transmission of ego relaxation really first came online. And I heard, be nothing, do nothing, get nothing, become nothing, seek for nothing, relinquish nothing, be as you are rest in God. And so I didn't really understand with my mind that transmission because it silenced my mind. I was in the effect of it for quite a long time. But in the years it's taken to really digest and integrate what that meant and why it was so seismic, why it was so powerful in shifting my own experience to a whole other level, was realizing the irony that all the years prior, I was trying to get rid of or fix this felt sense of being nothing, as if that was a problem. Well, really, it was the gate. So in that moment, I was just relaxing into being absolutely nothing. And it wasn't what I thought. So I've I've been guiding my students over the years to really get intimate with what is that place in them that feels like the biggest problem, that feels like that thing that shouldn't be there, that thing that you try and work around or compensate for or try to improve. And what if you surrender into that spot itself, right? And if you can, then usually what opens up isn't what you think. It's that the self-image of a a deficient somebody, of a wrong or bad or unworthy, not good enough somebody, gives way to infinite space and a deeper, direct, 
felt experience of the luminosity of being. Now, it's hard to describe this, but most of my work is about taking people by the hand and guiding them there and inviting them to explore what they find in that space. Mm -hmm. Now, Miranda, you say that in the cave, when you were in Ramana Maharshi's cave in India, not Mm -hmm. trying to achieve any particular state, you received this quote-unquote transmission, and that's when Mm -hmm. you heard these words. Why are you calling it a transmission? Where did this quote-unquote come from? Well, hard to describe, but the word transmission to me just, it's like a a sharing of something that is not conceptual, that uh, affects you energetically, emotionally, psychologically. I can describe it more as, as how it felt. It, it just felt like everything that was familiar in terms of my orientate on my sense of orientation to what I was, what God was, what the world was, what everyone was, was just changed. And it it was uh, as if like a, a gong went off inside, but it wasn't a sound. So I describe it really as like a thunderous presence of absolute silence, but it came with that knowingness. And I kept me transmission is if it was reverberating through me like like a gong might reverberate um, so it reverberated for quite a while before I really could understand what does this mean I mm-hmm. was feeling the meaning but it didn't it took years to recognize oh this is a transmission of ego relaxation right that helps my whole construct of self and reality just dissolve into what is. But it's also a how. It's a practice as well. And that was an exquisite thing to really get. Like, oh my God, this is this is actually a practical how of true surrender takes place. It's not what we think. It is just letting ourselves be very deeply in those moments where we come to our edges, where we instinctively picking up an opinion rather than being really present and undefended and letting reality with a capital R teach us something new about life in each moment. Now, you also described this experience as seismic. How Mm -hmm. did your life change after this wow. experience? Everything changed, Tammy. I mean, prior to this, I, it was like, I call it BC, before the cave, and AC, after the cave. It was, was, it was as if I died, but I was still here. So many things that were holding my familiar way of orienting and knowing myself just started falling apart. My marriage, um, which had been a very good marriage of 12 years, all of a sudden was just felt completely energetically different. Um, And it fell apart within six months of this experience. I all of a sudden felt done with the teaching that I'd been doing. And I had been, I was the founder and spiritual director of a groundbreaking interfaith seminary that, you know, was wonderful work, but... I remember coming back from that time in India and just feeling like I wanted to take the whole seminary training apart, given what I now understood. And it was clear that that wasn't wanted. And so it was time to let this go. And I was very attached. That was like my first baby, you know. Um, I kept feeling, wow, this is no longer my country. (laughs) I've been living in England for 15 years. And I, it was just, it just everything fell away without me trying to reject anything or trying to change anything. There was just this profound momentum of change that took place. And I can honestly say that um, within nine months, you know, everything that I thought was secure in my life all of a sudden wasn't. 
And it was huge. So, you know, I realized in the midst of all of this feeling, that sense, and it felt like, you know, a hand, a giant hand was just sort of sweeping across the chessboard of my life, knocking all the pieces to the floor and then tearing up the chessboard. I knew that surrender into this. It was really edgy. You know, I, I had to just engage, you know, all of the spiritual practice that had been built up for you know, 15 years prior to this moment to just let it happen and say yes, mm-hmm. you know, to go with what was happening. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful that I had that body of spiritual training to understand that you don't say no in a moment like this. You say yes, you go with it. At, but And it sounds easy, and we all know that it's not easy when that's us in a moment like that. So it took a lot of spiritual resolve to, you know, accept this, allow it, move with it. Um, You know, it's pretty Grecian in proportion. And in the wake of that, I was just listening to what's needed now. That was my moment-to-moment prayer, what's needed now. So I had to learn to live moment-by-moment out of that prayer and to ask and listen for what was true, what action was needed, right down to very precise things about moving country, navigating the U.S. Immigration Department, getting legal in this country, um, coming to a whole new part of the world where I didn't know anybody, taking the practical steps that needed to be taken to, you know, to walk forward into a new life. took immense courage. That's a beautiful prayer, what's needed now. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find it very useful. Yeah, yeah. Now, Miranda, I've interviewed a lot of different people about spiritual awakening. And one mm. of the things I'm curious about hearing the story you've just described is I'd love to know what your view is, why in some people's life, awakening seems to be a very, very slow dawning process. And other Mm -hmm. people like yourself seem to have pretty dramatic experiences over the course of a few weeks that they say are seismic. What's your understanding Mm -hmm. of that? Well, twofold, Tammy. I think, firstly, it's a mystery is the most obvious answer to that question. I don't think we get to choose the deck of cards we're given in life. We just get to choose how we work with them. And Yes, you know, I feel that I have had, you know, more than just this, but a few kind of very big openings. And I think that's, for want of a better term, just my karma. And I, I've been aware that there's a, there's a particular kind of reason why I'm here, and it's largely just bring forth this possibility for others. And I'm very much signed up for that and have been for a very long time, all my adult life. And so my primary focus in life you know, my prayer has been, take me, use me, to be a benefit. And I've been praying that prayer for decades now. And I mean it every time I pray it. And so I think when you pray prayers like that, you know, the mystery says, okay, then, you know, and shows you what you need. But at the same time, even though I describe a moment like being in Ramana's cave as seismic, and it certainly was, I think it's too glamorous just to go, oh, she had this great big spiritual orgasm and then she's done. Because that's not true. And I'm suspicious of anyone who presents awakening like that because I feel that what that doesn't include is all those years struggling on the meditation cushion at the therapist's couch, kind of, you know, praying deeply into those sort of naughty parts of myself. And, you know, that when you really look at someone's spiritual trajectory, you usually see that. You usually see there has been some dedication, some inquiry, some sincere, true desire and engagement. And that was certainly the case for me. And then also, it's not just you have that big spiritual bang and then that's it. I don't believe that awakening is a fixed thing. I I know for myself, you know, I'm still evolving. There are plenty of mistakes I make. Um my own inner spiritual life keeps opening up and I see more and there's more refinement and 
more growth and more things that open that I haven't written about yet. I'll probably get round to them when they're more integrated. So I, I take that view too. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. We welcome you to learn more about our collection of more than a thousand learning programs and receive three free gifts just for visiting us. Go to soundstrue.com backslash free. That's soundstrue.com backslash free. And now back to Insights at the Edge. Now, you said there was a certain type of resolve, I think is the word that you used, and there was an implication Mm -hmm. that there was a certain type of courage that was Mm -hmm. required on your part to say yes to the invitation that you were given to the transmission that you received. Tell me a little bit about that. What was required from you? Well, a totality of trust. Most of all, deep humility, willingness to be stripped right back to the root, and willingness to say yes to that, the willingness just to be deconstructed for a while. And once I saw the invitation of that, and I could see that that was true and helpful, it really helped me to say yes, because I realized that oh, I'd gotten a little trapped in a bit of an opaque membrane that I had unconsciously created for myself. And I think we all do that. You know, we get caught up in our roles, over-identified with our position in certain relationships, and, and that becomes integrated into our ego's familiar way of orienting through life. And sometimes that's beautiful, nothing wrong with it, but sometimes it creates a barrier. And so I could see that, I had become a little trapped in certain places and I didn't really know how to get myself out. So this was actually a gift and that really helped me. It gave me the courage to actually see while this was very fierce, it was grace and it was ultimately going to be very helpful, even though it was likely to be edgy for a while. Mm -hmm. And so seeing that was very helpful in if you like, being courageous, although it wasn't like I was trying to be courageous. It was just really trying to live into my spiritual practice with what was going on, to say yes to what was the plan rather than wail and rage and resist and try to hang on to my plan. You know, and I I personally, and I write about this extensively in the book, so much of it is about surrendering the need for control And, you know, I speak about that because, hey, (laughs) that was the biggest part of my ego. Um, You know, that's been the most hard feature that I personally have had to work with, Um, you know, my own willfulness. So, you know, that really helped me to really recognize that freedom and all the promises of the past really do come when we surrender me and my for thy, you know. And that as we give ourselves back to the origin of our being, as we say yes to what's the truth, even if we don't fully understand it yet, ultimately we're given back to what's real, what's beautiful. We're given what we need. And I knew that already. Mm-hmm. Hence what I'm saying about those previous years of inner work all kind of came to support me with this, you know, this big leap that happened and the need to integrate that and let it really trickle down through my bones and through every aspect of my life so that I actually demanded for a deep deconstruction. Now, there's a quote from The Way of Grace that I pulled out because it was personally meaningful to me and I want to talk to you about it, Miranda. Here's the quote. Mm -hmm. After this experience that you had in Ramana's cave... I had to adapt to a level of vulnerability that felt Mm -hmm. like having no outer skin. And, you know, here you are, you're talking about this opacity that you felt Mm -hmm. previously that you had 
somehow been living with, you weren't really aware of it. And then afterwards, a level of vulnerability that felt like having no outer skin. And I pulled this forward because I think that level of sensitivity is often quite difficult for people to become accustomed to, to live with in our world. Oh, yeah. Can you talk some about that? How, how have you managed to adapt <laughs> to that level of vulnerability? Yeah, well, gosh, it's a big question. One of the things that has helped me the most, and I know you talk about this a lot in, in your podcast, Tammy, and I appreciate it, which is just really coming into direct somatic experience. And one of the things I realized about myself was that, you know, I've had prior to the experience in the Cape, I've had what I call a very top-down awakening. I've always had a very deep relationship with, you know, all sorts of subtle dimensions of being, but I never really felt at ease in my body or at home on earth. That was a very predominant experience I'd had. And I realized that, you know, I was a little blocked from the ground up. And so what seemed to really help me was, you know, and I'm saying this to my students all the time, it sounds really silly, but I'm saying wiggle your toes, butterfly your knees a little bit, just shift your pelvis around, just actually recognize what you're in and part of, what you're held by. You know, not just our physical earth, but if you open to where, what causes all the trees and the plants and the mountains and the oceans and your body and everything and everyone? What causes all of that? You know, what opened in me was a felt sense of being grounded and supported by this mountainous presence that literally felt like I had like a mountain that was universal, that was sort of rising up and was supporting me just to be here now. However I was in that moment, whatever was going on, you know, whether I was signing my divorce papers, which was obviously a pretty tough moment, <laughs> whether that was, you know, standing in line at John F. Kennedy Airport, not knowing whether I'm going to get through the immigration clerk, okay, whether, you know, I'm looking for a place to rent, but I don't yet have a social security number, so I keep getting turned back, whether you know, showing up to places where I don't know anybody and nobody knows me and just showing up. You know, that's by definition vulnerable stuff. But what I really wanted in my heart was to really live this, really, in each moment of my life. And I I had no idea. So <laughs> coming back to just, you know, sensing my feet, feeling my breath, feeling the truth of my longing, my prayer, and a genuineness of spirit that, you know, just really wanted to to understand and, and live this in a way that was true and in a way that brought blessings for others. I don't know whether I've answered your question or I've gone on another tangent, but no, uh, it's very it's very interesting to me that that's the direction you went in with my question was to help people ground in this mountainous mm -hmm. presence that you're describing. That that's been a method for you to yeah. be with your own vulnerability and sensitivity. That's I think powerful and interesting to me. Yeah. But in addition to that, you know, and that's a particular practice that I write about in the book, but it's a foundational practice that I share with everybody, which is about, it's a, it's a somatic based practice of, you know, feeling that mountain of presence and opening to it. It's a very real thing. It's not just an image, but it, when it opens up, it really does feel like your whole lower body, your belly, pelvis, feet, legs, are in and part of something that has no circumference and that is unlimited and that offers total support for each and every one of us just to be as we are and relax into what is right here and now. So that provides the support we need to let the mind's fear relax and let go, to let the grip of control, and it does feel like a tight grip in our bodies sometimes as well as our minds and our hearts, to let go, to let the judgment go, right? These dense forces that every single one of us has to work with if we're to gain traction, 
And what I started to see was this wasn't just true in my experience, was that the more that mountain of presence opened up in people, the more capable they were of relaxing out of fear, control, and judgment and defense, mm-hmm. and truly starting to cultivate the virtues that mature us. So one of the things that I saw when I was so raw, and I mean, just being very personal about this, I remember when I first got to California, and I had to go a lot slower than I was accustomed to going because I, I felt so raw, so skinless, so sensitive that just going into Whole Foods was a bit too stimulating for me. You know, it was hard to have conversations for a while. Um, and I had to just tolerate that. I had to just relax and let that be, you know, just be patient with myself. But I started to see how there are these virtues that all of the classical spiritual traditions have mapped out that we need in order to let true surrender happen. And those being trust, love of the truth, you know, and a deep honesty, a deep curiosity. We needed to really deal with the self-attack, to really relax out of superego judgment so we could be compassionate with ourselves. We need humility. We need willingness and we need patience. And so this whole map of, oh, that's what we can do. Those are the things that make us spiritually robust, those qualities. They will serve us to help us to genuinely be still, be undefended, be present, be open, relax into the unknown and allow grace deeper than our mind to have its way with us and to, to, to let that be and to not be afraid. So I saw that all these virtues, there's obstacles to each one of them that we have to deal with. And there are certain practices that support and inquiries. And so I developed all these inquiries that cultivate these virtues. Many of them appear in the book. Um, and I found them to be really useful to other people in developing the kind of spiritual, psychological, and energetic musculature that really serves us to let our ego relax. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of this mountain of presence, that's not just mm-hmm. an idea, but something that mm-hmm. we could all access right here in this moment. I wonder mm-hmm. if, Miranda, you'd be willing to guide us briefly, maybe just take, you know, five, ten minutes and take mm-hmm. us into that experience. Sure. Well wherever you're listening to this, just see if you can position your body in a way where your feet are flat on the floor and where you're positioned in a way where you're upright but supported and you're really sitting on your sits bones. And close your eyes. And just follow the gentle, natural rise and fall of your own breath. As if your own inhale is welcoming you, just as you are. And your own exhale is a natural melting. Just feeling the welcome of the in-breath, the melting of the out-breath. On the melting out-breath, feel as if you're just sinking deeper in and down into the support that's wrapping around your body, receiving it, noticing that even if there's something very difficult going on in your life right now, there's the support of the chair, there's the support of the earth, Feel yourself melting into that support that isn't coming from your mind, that's just here. Now bring your awareness in and down, particularly to your feet. And really feel that contact with your palms, your feet on the floor.
I want you to self-receive the floor and receive the fact of the earth. It doesn't require anything from you. It just provides support, shade, a home. Open into the aliveness of the earth that produces trees, animals, so many life forms. Under the earth's crust, we know there is layers of minerals and rocks, liquids, molten core, Open to the presence, the intelligence, the power that produces all of that. The same power that causes your own body to be here in the way that it is. Melt down into that. You may feel as if you're in and part of not only the ground of our earth, but a deeper ground. A ground that is alive, intelligent, infinitely creative, fundamentally loving, and immense. What causes that, we can't really say. So you may feel as if you are in and part of this infinite presence. Like sitting in a mountain that has no circumference. Let that mountain take up residence, not only in your feet, but in your whole lower body. As if the tip of that mountain comes to rest in your deep lower belly, Dantian O'Hara area. As if your legs your hips, your pelvis, in and part of that mountainous presence. That helps you rest in the ground of grace. That provides total support for you just to be here as you are. help you recognize that you are always resting in and part of God. Very beautiful. Thank you. Welcome. One of the themes that relates to having just done this meditation that I felt was laced throughout the way of grace is how this transforming power of ego relaxation can actually be experienced in our physical body, that ego relaxation Mm -hmm. happens at the level of our physicality and at the level Mm -hmm. of our subtle body. And there were various metaphors that you used for our subtle body experience that I just loved. At one point, you started referring to us as ego relaxed human beings uh, this is my language that part but you referred to us as human fountains that's right tell me yeah. a little bit about that image i, I love it <laughs> well again you know that's how it feels when i'm deeply grounded in that infinite mountain which is how the ground of grace feels in our bodies feels directly we feel grounded we're capable of being present 
the blessings of grace usually feels like this sort of beautiful, sort of subtle nectar that uplifts and nourishes us, fills us in the way we need with love and kindness and joy and goodness. The transforming power of grace has that feeling of a, of a waterfall. But ultimately, all of that is so that you and I become more graceful human beings. And I've been saying for years that, you know, who you and I are, what our bodies are, what our hearts are, what our minds are, everything about us is really designed to extend and embody grace, to really let that nectar flow deeper into the world through the living of our ordinary lives. And when that happens, it feels like a waterfall, like we might feel, and it feels like a waterfall for me with three primary spouts. And so we all know what a waterfall looks like. You know, the water comes up through the central channel, but it extends out. And in the process of extending out, that there's a spiritual hydration that occurs in the land around us, you know, and that's what wants to happen in the way that we live our life when we're deeply grounded and our hearts open and we, we're not dehydrated anymore spiritually. We feel that fountain coming up through us and it's, it's not blocked. It's, gurg- it's not just gurgling, it's flowing then what happens is our gifts come back online, our talents, our capacities, our beautiful qualities, and they're so unique to each one of us as well as universal. Um, It just wants to be shared. And so that's how it feels to me in my subtle body. It Mm -hmm. feels, you know, that it comes up through my belly, comes up through my heart, comes up through my throat, my mind, hopefully my voice, everything and that that's what's supposed to happen for us all, that we're grace delivery devices. That's what human beings actually are designed to be. That's what's possible for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think we're living in a time where our world needs a lot more grace than we've been seeing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, in the book, talk about how we can stay rooted in equanimity by being mm-hmm. in our subtle bodies in a way that's in deep and wide. Tell me about that, in deep and wide. Yeah. Well, built a bit on what we've just spoken about with the mountain of presence, when we're really deeply in ourselves, our bodies are relaxed, but alert, awake. We're grounded. We're present. We're not so much, you know, in commentating mind and thoughts of fear and defense. We're actually present. But so there's a feeling of being very deep in ourselves, and we have access to what we're really feeling, what's happening in moment to moment. Um, so that there's a sense of width because when the ordinary, familiar, patent ego identity that usually fixates around some story of I'm not enough or I need to be this or that, when that gives way to our true identity, which is literally boundless being then there's a sense of width to our experience. So some teachers might call this, you know, non-dual or non-localized awareness, where we're here in this particular location, but we're not bound by our history or our self-constructs or our thoughts or our opinions. We might even feel ourselves open to subtle dimensions, um, that relate to the lineages that we've worked with or other things. So there's access to deeper intelligence and more subtle intelligence, more subtle wisdom. And that helps us to walk in two worlds simultaneously, to be in this physical, three-dimensional, relational world where there's all this stuff happening, but at the same time to be deeply at rest in, you know, to, in the transcendent, in the absolute level of our being, that helps us greatly to be responsive rather than reactive. And I think this is particularly important now. And I've been teaching this kind of a practice while people watch the news at night. So how to sit in back and wide, centered, grounded, non-reactive, while we take in difficult things, things that are not so easy to bear so that we can pray into how do I show up today? 
you know, what's one action I can take that would be useful, that would be helpful? Or that simple prayer I was sharing earlier, what's needed now? What's the best use of my life force today? Hmm. Now, Miranda, I want to be sure that before we end our conversation, we address that person who has been listening and is tracking with us and is tracking with the experience you had in the cave, this Mm -hmm. deep, deep surrender and saying yes. And that person who hits some type of fear skid of some kind, Mm -hmm. they notice Mm -hmm. themselves feeling partially in that surrender process and partially pulling out and feeling fear for some reason or another. How can you help that person? What advice do you have for them? The most important thing is, you know, don't judge yourself for where you are. You can't force surrender. You know, you can just show up for the practice of ego relaxation, which means just being here where we are ceasing and desisting the judgment and the manipulation and even the subtle manipulation that can be hard to spot sometimes of trying to get to some spiritual high. It's so subtle. The further we go along the path, the more those things start to emerge. You know, you and I can't make it happen. That's not our job. But what we can do is show up in this moment with sincerity, with trust, with willingness, Um, We can learn to be present to our direct experience and to become more receptive to grace. We can't make grace happen. So ego relaxation is what we can do to enter into the receptive condition and to let grace be the teacher and the leader, which is really what it's all about anyway and what it's always been about anyway. This life that we have really is a gift. It's not for us to direct. It's a gift to be lived. And so much of it really keeps coming back to trust, trusting where you are, but also to listening to where you are and recognizing that right where you are is the map. And it will reveal its wisdom if we listen. I've been speaking with Miranda McPherson. She's the author of a new book called The Way of Grace, The Transforming Power of Ego Relaxation. And I certainly hope that this program has generated a level of ego relaxation for you like it has for me. Miranda, thank you so much. Thank you, Tammy. Thank you so much. With Sounds True, Miranda has also created the audio series Meditations on Boundless Love. And just to end, Miranda, once again, bring us into that space of the sun shining, your own trusting field of unconditional love. I think it would be a great note to end on. Yeah. Well, just come back to being here now where you are. And just find the breath, noticing how each inhale welcomes you completely. Each exhale invites some kind of melting. But you don't do the melting. As you just let yourself be here, noticing tension patterns, perhaps noticing your heart's yearning. Perhaps just being with the important themes and questions of your life. Notice how each inhale welcomes you right here where you are. Each exhale just invites a melting just as effortlessly as the warmth of the sun will bring the melting about Fill your contact with wherever you are and you're just letting that be. 
is that which allows the melting. Be as you are. Rest in God. Miranda McPherson, her new book, The Way of Grace, The Transforming Power of Ego Relaxation. Soundstrue.com, Waking Up the World. Thanks everyone for listening.